Hello there. Welcome back to the First Aid Woodworking Podcast. My name is Paul Hyatt, and I'll be your host. We talk about craftsmanship and finding meaning in our lives. I hope that you enjoy this podcast and that you will like, subscribe, and share it along with other people who might be interested in stuff like this. Thank you, and God bless. Hello and welcome back to the First Stage Woodworking Podcast. Um, just as an announcement, if this is the first time that you've been listening to this podcast, um, please listen to the other episodes. It really, really helps me out. Uh, but in particular, uh, I would really, really be thrilled if you would take a look at the recent podcast that I did with my friend Josh Johnson. I think that that um, conversation that we had was incredibly valuable and good for a lot of people to hear. Um, not to cherry pick one particular group, um, but I think that it's particularly useful for young men to, to listen to that particular episode. Um, <clears throat> so uh, if you are a young man and if you are uh, kind of lost and need some direction, then I highly recommend you take a listen to that podcast. Um, but any of my podcasts, I think, kind of seek to, to try to be able to do that. Uh, today, uh, I wanted to talk about uh, one of my favorite topics to talk about uh, that I've been talking about a lot recently because I've been in a book club uh, about this particular topic, but it's about uh, my love of all things J.R.R. Tolkien. And in fact, um, the namesake of this podcast was actually inspired by um, uh, by a time frame in my favorite book called The Silmarillion, <clears throat> uh, which was, uh, it's actually... As far as I understand it, it was the book that Tolkien began working on when he was in World War One. In many ways, it's kind of like the book that um, that uh, that The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, um, some of the favorites of of people. It kind of uh, was the brainchild of all of that work. Uh, but he, you know, kind of worked on it for for almost his whole life, <clears throat> but uh, but never finished it. It would be uh, published. Uh, edited and published by his son, Christopher Tolkien, uh, I believe in, <clears throat> in the 1970s. So, um, uh, so I uh, have been in a book club recently where I've been uh, fortunate to be, you know, working with some incredibly brilliant people um, uh, on The Lord of the Rings and uh, reading through each of the chapters. And, and there were just some really, really cool tidbits that kind of... Um, came out of all of that, and uh, and I decided that today I would just um, do a reflection on uh, on one of my favorite characters out of the book. Uh, might be, I mean it, uh, well, I mean King King Aragorn is probably my favorite uh, character of, of Lord of the Rings, is kind of the, the whole story of him. Uh, but uh, Faramir is, uh, uh, is, is also one of my favorites. Um, and in particular, uh, I want to talk about him because um, he is the character that I believe the movies got wrong. Now, don't take that as a slam to the original trilogy uh, of The Lord of the Rings, uh, The Fellowship of the Ring, The Two Towers, and The Return of the King. Those are fantastic films, and uh, if you haven't seen them, then you should uh, uh, watch them. But read the books, you know, like, like read the books first, 
and then you'll see what I'm what I'm talking about here. But but definitely read the books, and hopefully, um, if you have not read the books, that maybe this uh, this episode will inspire you to uh, to read the Lord of the Rings because it is um, a fantastic book. Now, why would I say that uh, you know that this story, you know, I mean that because that's what it, it's a fantasy story, really. Um, <clears throat> why would I put such a high importance in my life? I think that I've read Lord of the Rings now um, four or five times, uh, The Silmarillion certainly that many times. Um, why would I keep coming back to this book? Why is it so important? And well, it's because I, number one, I just love stories, and I think that we all do, and I think that our world. Uh, is in peril if we kind of lose sight of the story. You know, I mean, it, it's one of those things that I, I teach about this in my uh, Western political philosophy course that, uh, you know, like when when a point really, really needs to be made, you know, like one of the greatest, um, uh, it, it's one of the most life-changing allegories, which is a type of a story that's ever given. It's It's kind of like seen as somewhat of a supreme truth uh, when looking at um, uh, Western Western philosophy, um, uh, particularly with regard to politics, is uh, Plato's allegory of the cave. So I mean, Plato, who's an incredibly rational person, uh, uh, when he really really needs to make a point, he doesn't you know <laughs> give us a bunch of stunning statistics and um, and random facts that he's strung together. No no no, he tells us a story, and I think that there's a great amount of value to that and. When we look at um, uh, when when we look at uh, uh, at um, at our world today, I mean, like the the um, what built the Western world essentially was a story, the story of Christianity, the story of Jesus Christ, and uh, uh, and and I you know I, I think that our world could could learn a lot from that. That uh, uh, perhaps we should get closer and closer to the stories and maybe further and further away some, from some other things that we are pursuing in, in our modern world these days. But, uh, uh, but stories essentially are very, very important, and that's what Tolkien gives us is a very, very important story because uh, he gives us, um, uh, well, a, a, another central aspect that, that makes a story great is having great characters. Um, so, uh, and what kind of what makes a character great, I think, is that when you can relate to that particular character, and and um, and that's the thing that I think that you find in uh, the character Faramir, that if you are striving to be a good man, if you are striving after the good, then you would look an awful lot like uh, like this character by the name of Faramir, which is why I want to talk about him today because the movies get him quite wrong. Uh, though the movies are very good, uh, they just, um, at least in the, in the version of the movies that made it onto the screen, they don't really do a very good job with the character Faramir, uh, though they do get some things right about him in the extended edition. Uh, but the books, um, you know, Faramir is a, a person that, uh, that, that we should all aspire to be like. Um, so I, I want to talk about how uh, Faramir is, uh, he, he's the vision of the good, um, uh, of the good man, uh, aspiring to be good and, and oriented properly in all things in his life. So, 
so let's talk about him um, and, and essentially uh, talk about um, the embodiment of the positive masculine figure, I guess, is what we're going to be talking about in this particular podcast, which again, um, you know, this podcast is about talking about meaning. And I don't think that uh, I think that it's self-evidently the case that um, that if you are a young man or even an old man um, or a middle-aged man like me, uh, you should be aspiring to be uh, a good man and to be oriented toward uh, uh, being positively masculine. Now, <clears throat> I guess before I'll begin there too, I'll talk just a second here about what I mean by positively masculine. Um, to take kind of a more Aristotelian approach uh, with regard to um, the virtue of being masculine is that it's got to be somewhere between the extremes of what we see taking place in our world today. So um, uh, don't peg me as like an Andrew Tate type. Uh, that's not uh, what I'm getting at. I would say that's on the, the polar end of one extreme. Uh, <clears throat> but a man should also not... Um, so, so basically, uh, Andrew Tate is nothing new. Um, we, we've seen his ilk before. Um, and in fact, uh, Western philosophy has actually always been against people like Andrew Tate. Um, uh, because he's a sophist. Uh, he essentially, his philosophy is that might makes right and that the world is yours for the taking and that you should go out and, um, uh, and take it um, for all that it's worth. And um, it's a very, very uh, uh, egocentric uh, view of the world, which again um, does not reflect what uh, Western thinking has been after for quite some time, which is um, uh, what we refer to as Republican virtue or in other words, doing good for the good of all. Um, <clears throat> so you live a moral life in order to um, uh, uh, more fully take part in society. So if you embody the good, um, then you will be more fulfilled, more happy, more full of joy. Um, there will be more evangelium in the world, essentially. Um, uh, but the polar side of that would be, um, uh, would be uh, a weak coward. Um, uh, so both of these, I think, are uh, the, the archetypes of, and you see them all over the place in the world today, um, uh, but, uh, but I think that we should attempt to um, uh, embody um, more so a character like, uh, like Faramir, the, the positive masculine. So what are the traits, essentially? What, what is it that makes Faramir such a great character to, to model one's life after? Well, I've been alluding to it. It's that idea that he is, um, he's oriented properly. Um, uh, and he uh, is able to look at the world around him and, uh, uh, and instead of choosing to go after um, glory, um, fame, uh, uh, after... Um, achieving victory, um, it, it's not what you get from him. Uh, he is essentially humble. Uh, he is going after wisdom, um, and he uh, acknowledges his own limitations, and he also acknowledges that there is uh, such a thing as authority, so therefore there must be such a thing as legitimate authority, and he's able to recognize it immediately. Um, and uh, uh, and, and Tolkien does this brilliantly by giving us various different 
visions of men, basically. So Faramir uh, represents a very, very positive male figure. Um, uh, his brother, the, but, but Faramir is going to be contrasted with various other, uh, other characters. And Faramir is also not the only positive male character that you get in these books uh, also, because you also get um, King Aragorn, obviously, uh, Frodo, the ring bearer, uh, and Sam, uh, and also Merry and Pippin, and many other uh, uh, really, really good characters. But again, I want to talk about Faramir because he's not treated fairly, I think, in the movies. Um, so uh, the, the characters that he contrasts with uh, that I'm going to talk about also are uh, Boromir uh, and uh, <clears throat> Denethor, which Denethor is uh, Faramir's father. Boromir is his brother, and, uh, uh, and then another character by the name of Grima Wormtongue are, are basically the characters that he contrasts with, I think, to the best uh, in the books that I'll be, pa uh, that I'll be painting as I uh, go through this little discussion here. So, uh, uh, when it comes to these characters, what we kind of get is this Aristotelian idea of what it is to be virtuous. And what I mean by that is that uh, Aristotle made the claim that uh, we, can, we can understand virtue as a mean between two extremes. Okay, so, or in other words, the reason why courage is a virtue uh, uh, is because it rests um, uh, perfectly in between um, cowardice on the one hand and uh, uh, foolhardiness on the other, okay? So we'll take the foolhardiness aspect first, okay? Faramir is not foolhardy. Um, he is courageous and wise, okay? So he knows his own limitations, and because of that, he knows that he must be properly oriented. Uh, but his brother, Boromir, is foolhardy. Um, and Faramir is going to acknowledge this in, uh, in The Two Towers. This scene is um, that uh, uh, Faramir, through his wisdom, has figured out, uh, uh, he's, he's kind of drawn out of uh, Frodo and Sam, that, uh, that they have the one ring. So Faramir has an opportunity here. <laughs> You know, an opportunity that's very similar to what his brother had. Um, he could take the ring, um, <clears throat> but uh, the ring is many things. But I think that, uh, that the thinker Joseph Pierce is very, very correct when he says this, that the ring uh, above all things, or I think can, can best be understood as, um, uh, as sin itself. That's why Frodo has to bear it. Um, so, so basically... Uh, Frodo is an image of uh, Christ suffering uh, toward toward Calvary, um, so he takes upon uh, all sin unto himself. Um, and Faramir uh, knows that he cannot wield it, um, uh, so he cannot wield the ring. Um, and he and he tells us this in various different ways. You know, he says that uh, you know if he were to find he wouldn't pick up the ring if it were laying by the side of the road, basically. Um, 
he says things like he wouldn't lie to ensnare an orc. Now, I mean, whether he's boasting or not, we, we you know, it, it's hard hard to tell um, because he, he doesn't want to be exposed to the ring. <laughs> so, like, he, essentially, he's trying to dedicate himself to being saint-like. Um, and, and he, and which is, you know, kind of what we are called to do is to, is to be a saint. Um, uh, and, and a wise person, a wise saint knows that they cannot, um, uh, bend sin. They cannot use sin in order to be able to bring about a positive end. Um, and that therefore it's unwise and it's unsightly to engage in sin. Um, because it leads to death, uh, and that's what we see take place with regard to um, Boromir, is that uh, Boromir believes that he can take the ring, uh, defeat uh, the, the dark powers of the world with it, save his kingdom, um, and, you know, be this, this great hero and have this great amount of glory. Um, but the attempt to take on that sin leads to his death, which that's what sin does. I mean, like, that's that's why you shouldn't engage in sin is because um, by engaging in sin, it leads us to death. Um, that's why uh, especially mortal sins are referred to as mortal sin because they lead to, um, uh, uh, to death across the board, <laughs> the spirit or the, the soul and the body. Um, uh, so a wise man, Faramir, being a wise man, realizes that, um, uh, which I mean, again, you know, a very, very wonderful analogy there. Um, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Um, so it's this, uh, uh, this, this fear of screwing up, basically, uh, that drives Faramir to... Uh, uh, to to not take the ring for himself, um, and uh, to recognize to be properly oriented as a servant or a steward of the good, uh, to not take the ring and to allow the hobbits to go and do as as they as they will, and that clearly shows a very very proper orientation, um, and especially when we look at you know I mean like if you're a young person you listening to this and you've gotten it into your head that it's okay sometimes to lie I'm just telling you it's not um, all lies all falsehood any sin that you engage it will be discovered down the road sometime um, so perhaps it'll help you in the short term but but in the long run if you're living out a lie it is going to eventually be discovered and, uh, and it is going to um, uh, more than likely be very, very devastating. Um, so, uh, uh, so we get from uh, Faramir's that he is, uh, just in this you know, one little depiction here, um, he is wise, um, he is uh, and, and, and humble, and he is oriented toward the good. Um, so like those are uh, three things that are, are very, very good, uh, I would say. And I would also say that the movies get that whole scene completely wrong. <laughs> they kind of, you know, um, they kind of have this, like, good cop, bad cop routine going on, uh, and, and Faramir is not even portrayed as the good cop. Um, so it's, it's really, 
not not very well done. Um, they kind of show that it was uh, this great embattled struggle that he had um, when in the books it, it didn't really happen. Um, so again, read the books and then uh, and then you can watch the movies and, and perhaps develop an idea of that yourself. Uh, the next thing, though, is uh, uh, to talk about cowardice and why it is um, unvirtuous to be coward-like. And this is a relatively um, short one to take a look at here. But um, Faramir is going to go out in a you know in a great battle um, uh, at the orders of his father to defend the city of Gondor, um, which I would say that that's a, a scene in the extended editions of the movies that they actually get right. So we're, we're in the book, The Return of the King, now we're in the movie, The Return of the King. And uh, they do actually give us one good scene uh, of, of what it is to really be Faramir. Uh, Gandalf looks at Faramir as he's riding on a horse out of the city. Faramir is riding on a horse out of the city. And um, Gandalf looks at him and he says, Essentially, like, you know, look, you don't have to throw your life away um, uh, unwisely here. You know, like, you, you don't have to do this, though it's the bidding of your father. Because it, it's basically a suicide mission. And uh, and Faramir looks at him and he says something to the tune of, you know, um, uh, basically I come from this great line, this great tradition of being a man of Gondor and being uh, of the line of stewards. And uh, basically, I, I love this city, and um, and I would, uh, uh, I think that he says, I would gladly lay down my life for her beauty. Um, which is a, a beautiful scene that shows, um, again, the proper orientation of one's life. That, um, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things that... Uh, He's not aspiring for, for death in battle uh, in order to be able to attain glory. Uh, he's uh, number one duty-bound. He does what he is told by the authorities that be because he recognizes legitimate authority even when it uh, you know, is, is not being wielded too terribly well. Um, uh, but there's another you know, wonderful scene about that that I'll get to a little bit later. Um, that also didn't make it into the movies that is beyond me why it didn't. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but in any case, uh, but he recognizes that he comes from uh, a great tradition, okay? And that's, I think, that another thing that we really, really need to recognize in our world today, that um, uh, wisdom kind of dictates that if you want to, to gain some wisdom, you're not going to figure it all out on your own. So what do you have to rely on? Tradition. You you go back and you look at the past, and you see what mistakes have been made, what uh, great things you can learn from the past, and bring them into your life. And then you breathe new life into those ideas. And um, but they're different because they're a part of you now, and you've embodied them, and you embody them differently than anyone else because you're you, and they were all those people. So, um, you know, I mean, it, it and that's there's a. a a profound beauty to that that is is awe-inspiring and I think that is something that um, that young men uh, should really really aspire to in their own lives is that it's like you know you have to be dedicated to something um, uh, so it might as well be truth beauty and goodness uh, which is essentially what Faramir tells us in that scene 
and what is reflected in the book, um, and that uh, that it that it takes courage to be able to do that, um, and uh, uh, but but that it's a noble pursuit, and that you your life will will be um, fulfilled uh, while while pursuing those things. Um, so essentially, don't seek the minute to minute uh, pleasures of the world. Um, uh, seek the good, and uh, uh, and and things will. Um, uh, you know, your, your life will be uh, a much more fulfilled one. Um, but his father, though, uh, Denethor, the steward, uh, uh, is not courageous. Um, uh, he has been looking into, uh, into the palantir, which, uh, Joseph Pierce talks about this, that, um, uh, Basically, Tolkien, we think, uh, might have been using the idea of the palantir as a uh, an analogy for the emergence of television. Um, uh, that uh, you know, by by staring into basically, if you haven't read the books, which <laughs> for like the fiftieth time, read the books uh, 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 and and read them before you watch the movies. Um, but uh, the palantir is. Uh, uh, this orb that uh, gives farsight to uh, to the king, or in this case the steward, so they were the the property of the rightful king of Gondor. But some of the stones have gone missing, and some of them have fallen into the hands of the enemy. So Denethor doesn't realize that um, uh, that he is <coughs> uh, staring into this thing that is creating more and more despair and darkness in his life to the point where uh, he, um, you know, it is drawn to do some things that are uh, of the heathen kings of old, I believe it says in the books, uh, which is, I think, incredibly well put based off of where we are today in our world. So uh, my question for the audience and my question, you know, to young men is that it's like, what are you staring into that is maybe uh, leading to your life being uh, more dark, uh, less courageous, less properly oriented, leading you toward despair? And I think that we all know the answer to that, um, especially in a world where we not only have television, but you can basically walk around with a television in your pocket all day that you can see whatever you want to. Um, uh, and, and I think uh, with the massive increases that we've seen in suicide and things along those lines. It doesn't take a genius to figure out that perhaps Tolkien was right in all of this. So, uh, so Denethor um, despairs, uh, and he, uh, uh, in, <clears throat> he, he does this thing that he misconstrues as an act of bravery, and, and, um, and that's what, uh, uh, Tolkien does in this, and it, it's brilliant, is uh, Denethor in his despair, he says that, you know, we're not going to be able to defeat um, <clears throat> the uh, uh, the dark powers that be, so uh, he despairs, and he uh, seeks to take his own life, and, um, and, and the, the scene there in, in the book points out Denethor's pride in doing this, which is kind of the root of all evil. Uh, the root of all sin is uh, is one based off the idea that you can you have it all figured out 
and though this this path before you is going to lead to some struggle and hardship, you know, defending the city um, might not go so well. But uh, we we can we we know self evidently that despairing and and taking one's life in that particular instance, um, or really any instance for that matter, is not a not a good idea. Um, <clears throat> and uh, so you have these two uh, different things here that it's like you know you have. Uh, Faramir, who is uh, courageous, um, he goes out in defense of the city, and uh, and Denethor, the rightful steward, has the potential to do that, um, but uh, but chooses not to. So again, when we look at these characters of uh, of uh, uh, Boromir, who is foolhardy, Faramir, who or uh, uh, Denethor, who is a coward. Um, uh, we, we see that contrast between those characters, and I think that it's even more brilliant that uh, the Tolkien put them all in the same family. Um, so you, you see an image of the good emerge out of, um, in many ways, kind of the, the most unlikely of places. So definitely beautiful imagery from, from him on that particular aspect of Faramir. Now, as for the, the sense of duty, um, and uh, uh, and doing one's duty and recognizing legitimate authority and seeking to serve that and being a steward. Again, these are all things that make for uh, a great person, um, a great man, is one that is not a life marked by um, uh, what you gained uh, while you were alive, um, but more so whom you served. And, and, and how many people you served, and how well you served them. Uh, and our world today, I think that this podcast might be turning into me just being a social critic, which, I mean, so be it. But, um, but uh, uh, instead of serving oneself, you know, like, um, uh, it's like, how can we serve others and serve um, uh, a legitimate good? And I think that there is... I just simply have to read it. It's one of my favorite um, points in the in the book. Um, it might be my favorite moment in in all of the books. So this scene takes place in uh, in the Return of the King, the Houses of Healing. Uh, Faramir was um, essentially fatally wounded, and uh, Aragorn, the rightful king of Gondor, who is uh, uh, essentially uh, Tolkien's uh, idea on the the embodiment of Christ the King, um, uh, which I think it's very very interesting that uh, uh, there's this old prophecy that this uh, old woman uh, talks about. She says that the the hands of the king will be the hands of a healer, which is beautiful imagery. Um, which again, if you didn't know this, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien was a devout Catholic. So, like all of this nonsense that you'll see where he was uh, not drawing at all from any religious tradition, that's not true. He uh, did say that uh, Lord of the Rings is, uh, at its core, a theological and Catholic work. Um, so you're going to see those that, that clear representation in, in various different characters. So Aragorn is Christ the King, and he hasn't actually proclaimed himself as king yet. <laughs> Um, so he, he's going to enter into the city of Gondor to go to the Houses of Healing to heal his friends uh, and others 
that, uh, that are in need of his healing. So we kind of see Christ, the miracle worker, also uh, in, in Aragorn here. And uh, uh, Faramir is at death's doorstep, and uh, Aragorn comes in and heals him. And that whole scene is just so incredibly powerful that I just simply have to read it to you. Um, Suddenly Faramir stirred and he opened his eyes, and he looked on Aragorn who bent over him, and a light of knowledge and love was kindled in his eyes, and he spoke softly, My lord, you called me. I come. What does the king command? Ugh! <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Just, like, he, he immediately recognizes the true, the beautiful, and the good, the embodiment of Christ the king. He's the good steward. He was the servant that was waiting at the gate. And now he's like, you know, he's like almost dying. He's like pierced by an arrow. You know, it's like he should be dead, but he immediately wants to get up and do God's will. And it's like, that's like, you know, that's like a spirit-filled life. Um, it's just incredible stuff. But he continues on, and this is Aragorn now. Walk no more in the shadows, but awake, said Aragorn. You're wary. Rest a while and take food and be ready when I return. I will, Lord, say, said Faramir, for who would lie idle when the king has returned? Ugh. <laughs> just, just a perfect scene that shows uh, his, his stewardship and his duty and his proper orientation toward legitimate authority. Um, uh, you know, it, it, Aragorn doesn't kick in the doors and say, I'm king, and he begins making people do a bunch of things that they otherwise would not do uh, or not act according to their own reason and things along those lines. It's like, well, no, because that wouldn't be legitimate authority. That would be power, as defined by Niccolò Machiavelli. So uh, we, we see Faramir immediately recognize that it's like, here he is. Here's the king. And... And I must dedicate my life to serving him. It's like, oh, thank God for that. It's such a powerful, powerful scene. Now, the last uh, point that I would like to make, that, and, and I listened to uh, Bishop Robert Barron recently talk about this, and I, I loved it. It was, it was wonderful. It was one of his recent homilies. Um, this is May of 2023. But he was talking about the marks of the Holy Spirit on, on a person's life. And... He saved the best for last, which I think is the most true, and I think that there's also a reason why J.R.R. Tolkien leaves this last image of the goodness of Faramir for the end of the book, um, which is uh, uh, this image of Faramir's love um, and, and uh, what it means to be uh, filled with love and to be loving. Um, but essentially, the greatest mark of the Spirit um, you know, uh, I think that pretty much all Christian denominations would uh, would agree that above all things, Christ is love and uh, and showed his love for the world and poured his love out onto us and continues through his grace. And thank God for that. Um, but uh, but a mark of the Spirit on an individual is not what you did, not your accomplishments, not um, uh, the things that you gained in this life. Um, but it's, did you love? You know, did you, did you love to the fullest? You know, uh, did you put your own selfish desires 
by the wayside um, uh, uh, in order to be able to be a good servant to those who are around you. And I think that that's one of the things that we're missing in our world today is that we're getting further and further away from uh, the great virtue that made um, uh, the world a great place to be, which was uh, loving one's neighbor. I think that we've really, really, we need to bring that back into our society. Um, it's like, it, it, you know, I think that everyone kind of feels uh, that the Western world is on life support at this point. I think the thing that will jolt us back um, into into reality again, into into living our lives for the fullest, is to um, is to be more loving. Now, when I say love, I don't mean um, uh, a lot of the more modern connotations with regard to love. I mean the traditional idea of love, or in other words, the correct idea of love, which is to will for the good of the other. Um, <clears throat> you see, if I am a teacher and I have my students come in, you know, like a, a great teacher, again, is marked, I think, by the love that they have for their students. Um, uh, so when we say that we love our students as being great teachers, uh, or if I love my craft as being a great craftsman, or whatever it may be, it isn't that I uh, tell these kids what they want to hear. It isn't that I um, uh, accept them for as they are right now and just say, well, everything's okay because you're perfect. No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I uh, look at them and I say, like, no, you can always improve. You can always be better. Whatever you are today, you can, you can uh, aspire to be uh, something greater tomorrow because God wills for us to be great. We're called every day to greatness. Um, uh, so, um, uh, so like that aspect, and that, that's greatly enriched my life, um, and, it, and it, it has greatly enlivened my teaching and makes it to where when I go to teach, I'm essentially pouring myself out to these kids because I greatly care about their development because I love them. Um, and it's much the same way when I'm working in my shop. You know, I pour myself into my craft uh, in order to try to make something as beautiful as I possibly can, because I love it. Um, so it's like, you know, in, in what ways can you become a more loving person? Well, I mean, we can look at the love that Faramir shows uh, uh, to Eowyn, uh, and it's, it's an incredible one to look at. But we do need to take a step back, though, because I need to talk about this other character that I alluded to at the beginning of all of this, by the name of Grima Wormtongue. See, Eowyn... This beautiful young woman um, uh, that is incredibly talented, uh, that uh, uh, is is uh, kind of you know like she she's uh, she's got this unfortunate aspect of of her uncle who is her father figure in her life because her father died I believe when she was very young, um, has essentially become an invalid because he has been deceived and and. Um, uh, and and essentially had his mind destroyed by uh, by the powers of Sauron and um, and Grima Wormtongue uh, and uh, and Grima, who is uh, you know I mean essentially what you have taking place there with King Theoden, uh, uh, who's the the king of, of Rohan who has been deceived and and made into an invalid basically, um, <clears throat> he is. Uh, 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 so he's trying to uh, essentially politically destroy the kingdom of Rohan so that it can be taken over uh, by 
by by the forces of darkness in in uh, Isengard and um, and under Sauron. Uh, so that's you know obviously not good. Um, and uh, uh, but but you also have so you have this uh, uh, this kind of idea that he's uh, whether passively or not involved in a political conspiracy of sorts. So there's that um, that lust um, uh, for power, essentially. Um, but then you also, and I, I think that Tolkien does this purposely, he also lusts after this woman um, that, uh, that he knows that he cannot have. But, um, uh, but, but he is, uh, you know, uh, doing everything that he can uh, to take that which he cannot have. So... Uh, Grima Wormtongue is essentially um, what uh, what Saint Augustine talks about it being libido dominandi, or um, uh, driven by lust, driven by our desires, and uh, uh, lust uh, I think can be um, essentially understood as um, uh, when we're talking about human beings, when you remove the humanity from them and make them into an object of your of your um, uh, of your lust. So you are willing to do anything in order to be able to uh, gratify your impulsive um, desires um, at anyone's expense. So Grima Wormtongue is uh, very clearly a, a wicked person. Um, and, uh, uh, and you know, I mean, again, he is committing these uh, terrible moral sins and would you know it leads to his death later in the book. Um, uh, and and I do think that 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 is a character they got really really well in in the movies, um, but uh, but you have Eowyn who you know she was pursued by this wicked evil loser basically you know I mean this this back backward um, uh, you know uh, very very dark evil uh, broken person because he's essentially claimed his sin he he isn't just making a mistake he is. He is complicit um, in this in this conspiracy to uh, uh, to undo um, uh, undo the good in the world. Um, so he can kind of be understood as a Judas figure, a betrayer, um, but also a betrayer who um, uh, who lusts um, after this this woman. Which I mean, if, if there's of course betrayal in that as well. Um, so uh, so so not a good guy, Grima Wormtongue. So he's an image. Of the fallen man, uh, uh, and, and especially when when um, uh, trying to take a uh, uh, instead of uh, trying to um, kind of win the love of Eowyn uh, by his own merits, uh, he seeks to manipulate her and to um, to bend her to his will, essentially. Um, and uh, so, if you're a young woman uh, listening to all of this. Um, I'm going to be talking here about what are the marks of uh, a good man that you can pursue, and and what are the the marks of a of a good man, um, uh, uh, you know, to to help you um, uh, not wind up uh, with with an evil, uh, wicked person. Um, so I I just mentioned uh, one of them that, uh, um, <clears throat> uh, uh, and and it's kind of the the whole point of what I want to talk about here is that um, Grima Wormtongue, you know, when we talk about a person manipulating others, uh, typically that means that they use really really um, 
high language that uh, is is maybe hard for people to understand, but it all sounds really, really good. Um, uh, and I think that you see a lot of that going on these days. Um, but uh, but I think that, again, the mark of a, of a good person is, can you understand them? Um, uh, do they speak plainly? Or are they clearly trying to manipulate and um, uh, uh, mislead you? And that's kind of what we can do with our speech. Um, so, I mean, again, uh, Grima Wormtongue uh, seeks to manipulate, whereas with, uh, with, with Faramir, you're going to see him, um, with his speech, seek for the good of others or to illuminate uh, other people. Um, so, uh, so, yeah, we have Eowyn who is, you know, broken. She's lost her father figure. She's, you know, been pursued by this terrible uh, person. Uh, and uh, Faramir sees her and, um, and immediately takes an interest in her. And it, it's such a powerful scene um, that, that you see take place here between uh, the two of them because Eowyn uh, looks at him eventually uh, while they're walking through the courtyard of the Houses of Healing and, and kind of going through their healing process together, which Faramir has been able to fully heal, again, because he recognizes that legitimate authority. Eowyn isn't quite oriented just right yet, um, but, uh, uh, but, uh, uh, but, but Faramir is going to bring her to that because of his love and his plain spokenness. Um, so uh, so uh, Eowyn looks at him and she basically tells him to just, you know, just like, you know, give it to me plainly, speak plainly. What are you, um, uh, like, what is it in these dark days that you are, um, what's keeping you going, basically. And he looks right at her and he just says that he's like, you know, there's all of this beauty in the world, but I've never seen anything quite as beautiful as you. It's like, you know, I mean, and, and like what, I, I, I mean, like, you know, what young woman, I think, I, I mean, I'm not a young woman, um, uh, but, you know, I do really, really like it when my wife calls me handsome. So, I mean, like, uh, uh, you know, it's like what young woman doesn't want to have a man look at them and say, like, you are beautiful and I would spend the rest of my life um, in service to and, and to be a good steward of your beauty and to protect and defend that against um, uh, all wicked men who might try to, uh, to, to destroy that. Even though when you look at anyone, she's very, very capable. I mean, she just, you know, destroyed one of the Dark Lords, one of the Nazgul, uh, the king of the Nazgul, actually, the, the Witch King. Um, so it's like she, she very clearly can handle herself, but, uh, uh, you know, but, but again, there's that, that dedication there on, on Faramir's part and it's convincing. It's just, it's self-evident in the way that he carries himself. There's that confidence there. That's, there's that stoicism there that he just is like, you know, he, he sees what, um, what is before him and is of great value to him and he names it accordingly. And, um, uh, and, and, and you again, see this, uh, uh, this, this, um, uh, character Eowyn become healed because of it. Then uh, a little bit later, uh, after they have found out that the ring is destroyed and that the whole world isn't going to go up into a ball of flame, um, uh, you have Faramir, uh, again, Eowyn is like, you know, speak plainly to me. What, what is it that you want to say? And he, you know, tells her that he's like, I love you. 
And that is what a man does, folks. Uh, little boys, uh, emotionally immature people that never want to grow up, um, seek to manipulate, to um, pull uh, uh, a beautiful uh, person, a good person, pull them further and further away from those who uh, would lead to them being um, happy and whole and healthy in order to be able to take them for themselves, essentially. And that's not what Faramir is doing here. Um, uh, he looks at her and he says, you know, like, I love you, I want to marry you, and uh, I want to go and spend the rest of my life um, tending a garden with you, uh, a garden with you in Ferrothelion, um, uh, where she would essentially be the, the stewardess um, of the people of, of Gondor. Um, which is, you know, I mean, like what a what a beautiful image that uh, that Tolkien gives us that when we have um, a husband and a wife properly oriented toward their marriage, then what you have is a return to the garden um, uh, where, you know, sure, there may be some serpents in the garden that may try um, to to undo your marriage. But if you have made the proper sacrifices, if you are willing to, um, uh, uh, to, to, to do everything that you can for the good of the marriage, then it will survive. Um, and that is, uh, I think, a very, very hopeful message um, that, that, uh, that we can all benefit from, and hopefully that's very, very self-evident to you. Um, but essentially, that last mark of, of what makes uh, Faramir um, a great character and a great person that we ought to um, aspire to be like in our lives is that he is a life marked by love. So, uh, you know, remember these things that we talked about, um, going after wisdom and understanding and realizing that the source of that um, is the fear of God, um, uh, to, to recognize and want to serve legitimate authority and others, to, uh, to be duty-bound, to be courageous, and uh, and to love to the fullest. And if we can do all these things, then um, surely, surely, I say unto you, we will inherit the kingdom of heaven. Um, so thank you all for listening, and I will see you all next time. Thank you for tuning into this podcast. I hope that you'll like, subscribe, and share this information along with people who may be interested in it. God bless.